This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Even though it was utterly predictable to observers of abortion rights that the U.S. Supreme Court would overturn Roe versus Wade, Democratic politicians appear to be caught off guard. President Joe Biden responded to activist pressure by signing an executive order promoting existing federal abortion protections, while Health Secretary Javier Becerra simply said there was, quote, no magic bullet to restore access to reproductive care. We turn now to Jessica Mason Piclo, Senior Vice President and Executive Editor of Rewire News Group, co-host of their podcast, Boom Lawyered. She's also the co-author of The End of Roe versus Wade, Inside the Rights Plan to Destroy Legal Abortion. Welcome to the program, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. You and I have spoken now for numerous years around the end of abortion access nationwide via the Supreme Court. It has happened. And yet it seems as though leaders in the Democratic Party, as I mentioned, were caught off guard. It, did it seem that way to you as well, that they really didn't have a plan? Absolutely. It's astonishing, honestly, that we are weeks out from the Dobbs decision and a full reversal of, plan, of Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And yet we have yet to have the Biden administration declare any kind of public health emergency, even though we know that we are in the middle of one in this country right now. It's it's I, I'm at a loss for words, honestly. Now, the. Um... Uh, executive order that he signed, what exactly did that do? I mean, uh, the Washington Post had an editorial saying, well, Biden is doing all that he can do um, and that, you know, he needs to make sure he's on sound legal ground. This was echoed by Javier Becerra. We, we want to make sure that anything that we put in place is not going to, you know, be able to be legally challenged. Those sorts of uh, pieces of logic have never deterred the right, of course, when it comes to uh, overturning abortion access, but but what exactly did Biden's executive order do? Is it toothless? It's pretty toothless. I mean, so there's there's some good in it, and then the rest of it is is pretty milk toast. What it did out of the gates is, as you mentioned, reaffirmed already existing federal protections for abortion care, such as EMTALA, for example. EMTALA is a federal statute that came up in the wake of the Reagan administration and the deregulating of a lot of our mental health facilities. And it forces hospitals to treat patients that show up in an emergency room setting in an emergency setting, right? It's an anti-dumping statute. It means you can't just kick one patient down the road to another care facility. So the Biden administration has said it will enforce EMTALA to make sure that patients who present with medical emergencies related to their pregnancies can have access to abortion care. That sounds great. But what the, but the, what the Biden administration didn't mention is that that's going to run up into what are known as church amendments. And the, the church amendments are provisions that allow individual health care providers to raise conscientious objections to performing certain services that they have religious objections to, like abortion care. And so we already know that legal conservatives are spoiling for a fight here. What the administration didn't do is authorize any additional rulemaking by its agencies to do something like immediately mandate 
the birth control be available over the counter like it is in countries across the globe, for example, right, to immediately address what we, what we will see as a swell of unintended pregnancies as reproductive health care access in general is under pressure and under threat. It didn't authorize the use of federal facilities to start delivering that care. There's a lot that the administration did not do except for making promises to exist enforcing law. And as you mentioned, Sonali, I've been on the show for years now talking about how existing law is inefficient and, and not enough when it comes to protecting access. And now we are in a space where existing law is actually about ending access in some states. What about the rest of the Democratic Party? What about Democrats in Congress? There was an mm -hmm. attempt to pass a law earlier this year, uh, the Women's Health Protection Act. Of course, that vote came pretty late. That should have been done yeah. ages ago. It predictably failed. Now they're trying to pass some um, other forms of protections. Nancy Pelosi is, um, you know, it seems to be saying the same sort of thing that Biden is saying, which is, we're going to take it one step at a time. We're doing what we can do. What exactly is Congress, uh, congressional Democrats doing? Well, this week alone, congressional Democrats are hosting a bunch of hearings on the fallout from the Dobbs decision. And that is an evidentiary fact-finding process that allows them to build the case for additional legislative action. Um, also, Democratic leaders have introduced legislation to do things like protect the right of patients to travel out of state to receive abortion care. One of the rights that the Dobbs decision calls into question now is the constitutional right to travel for care. And that is something that I think people need to be talking a lot more about. I mean, it but just I blows my mind. Let's uh, focus on that for a minute. The fact that we're yeah. talking about restricting the right to right of movement mm -hmm. between states of people who are pregnant mm -hmm. is mind-blowing. We would never stop a cancer patient from crossing state lines to access care, or, or for that matter, we would never be able to stop anybody from moving across the state to doing anything unless they're planning mass murder, right? Like with a right. huge number of guns. And even then you could probably have the NRA stepping in to protect their right to do that. I mean, what I think it really does is highlight the anti-democratic nature of the anti-choice movement here. This doesn't just affect the right to an abortion. This affects all of our rights. The right to travel is essential. And I wanted to go back to this question that you had asked about the Biden administration and, and their um, sort of reluctance to take big swings because they're concerned about litigation. And you made an excellent point, which is that's never been a concern for the right. And I think the reality that Democrats and progressives are running up against and that they can no longer avoid with the Dobbs decision and will be even more so as they try to enact any kinds of reforms is that there is nothing right now that they can do policy-wise at the federal level without reforming the federal judiciary. The hmm. fact that, Senate, that Secretary Becerra and the Biden administration is tacitly admitting this in places like the Washington Post should be a reason why we're taking big swings to make the case for democracy reform, to make the case 
for court reform. The American people do not like the Dobbs decision. They do not like that the Supreme Court is forcing a theocratic government on a secular country. And it is incumbent on democratic and progressive leaders to make that case. And there's no better way to make that case, in my opinion, than to go for big, bold policy measures and have them be challenged and struck down in the courts, and then make your case to the American public that if they want their lives better, we need to address these structural issues. Right. I mean, the, the right, anti-abortion right, got to where they are by pushing aside the fear of legal challenges exactly. and just railroading as hard as they could for what they wanted. And it took years, but they got it. They won. Um, let's talk about what's happening in the states, those yeah. states in particular, where uh, the challenges, uh, where the Supreme Court's decision can trigger and is already triggering instant abortion bans. Mm -hmm. What is happening in, you know, states unlike California? What is happening in uh, Republican legislature states right now? It is a race to the bottom right now. Um, there is, so, you know, there are at least 13 states in the country right now that have what we call trigger bans on the books. And that allows um, those states to immediately ban abortion within their borders as soon as Roe uh, was overturned, which it was um, in June. There's ongoing litigation around those trigger bans. Some have been allowed to take effect in places like Louisiana and Texas, for example. Others in Utah um, have been blocked by court order. So the reality is, is abortion, the abortion access map changes on a day by day, sometimes hour by hour level in this country. And that's bananas. There is no other right there is no other expression of autonomy where this is the case. And as a result of the Dobbs decision, here we are. We're also seeing states sort of champing at the bit to enact even further restrictions. So states that maybe have a 15-week ban on the books now are absolutely looking to ramp that up to a six-week six ban, to a total ban. And we're seeing saber rattling at the national level for a national ban. So as anti-choice activists start to walk away from the damage of the Dobbs decision, they're going to be peddling it in the media as well. And people need to understand that a national ban is absolutely part of the anti-choice strategy. The Dobbs decision doesn't say return abortion back to the states. It says return abortion back to elected officials. Hmm. That's a tell. That's a tell. What about states like Michigan, where there have been now uh, signatures, hundreds of thousands of signatures collected to put the uh, right to an abortion to the mm -hmm. ballot? Yeah, Michigan is an excellent example. Kansas has a very important election at the beginning of August on this issue as well. One of the things that we are seeing in the immediate aftermath of the decision is in those states that want and have the ability to have voters weigh in right away, there is an appetite by those voters to do so. Will that carry into momentum into the fall midterm elections for progressive candidates and Democratic candidates? I don't know. We have a short memory in this country and a lot of crises to address. I just don't know if folks have the, the, the sort of political wherewithal to stay in the fight that long, which is kind of a scary thought. Mm. But 
in the immediate, it has been galvanizing um, in some very important jurisdictions, and that's good to see. Now, then you have states like California, which um, where the, the right to an abortion is protected. And you had state legislators recently put the right to uh, abortion on the ballot in California, a place where um, uh, I understand uh, privacy laws already protect the right to an abortion and critics are um, accusing uh, Democrats in California of playing politics with abortion because if it's already protected and you put it on the ballot and it narrowly loses, you've turned a victory into a loss. What do you make of this? I mean, that's true. That's true. I think the political calculation is likely that this is an issue that can galvanize uh, progressive and democratic voters in California across the ticket as well. And so that will be an interesting test. You know, I mean, I think broadly. But isn't principle, it risky? I mean, it, it is, just seems ridiculously it risky. It is risky. And I will say that, you know, as a principle, I think it's just a bad idea to put roads up rights up to vote, right? Like we just should not do this as a Especially matter Especially if they're already enshrined. If they, if right. they have been lost, then that may be right. one way to get them back. But California was also a state that at one point narrowly voted against same-sex marriage. I was just in, say, in spite of our liberal reputation. It has the entire Proposition 8 history for it. And so, you know, that is, it, we may see a little bit of that resurfacing here. And it just seems that, you know, even though Republicans are the ones always accused of playing politics with abortion, the Democrats tend to do the same. And now the message we're getting from Democrats instead of strong action to protect abortion is, well, go vote for Democrats in the midterms. Well, how convenient. Yeah. And, in, and you know, the point that I keep making is that's a fine electoral strategy, but it also does nothing to get people who need abortion care now the care that they need. Let's also talk about the um, the the protect the right to abortion, or rather the right to birth control, and mm -hmm. the long road that Republicans and anti-choice activists are looking toward, which is to ban the morning after pill, to ban uh, just you know the birth control pill. Um, there was a time, right, even up to after the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs, where you could. Um, order the um, uh, Plan B medication on Amazon, and now that's being restricted. Uh, what are the things that the Biden administration and Democrats could do to protect those rights now? I know you alluded to that earlier. The FDA has a whole host of um, arrows in its quiver, so to speak, that it could start unleashing to protect birth control access. First and foremost is the Affordable Care Act, which already protects birth control access. And so that is an avenue for um, uh, enforcement and expanding those rights. It also protects abortion care too. So the Biden administration could use and avail themselves of, se of section 1557 in the Affordable Care Act there to get further guarantee abortion access. And in terms of contraception, the FDA could make the pill available over the counter. It could, in, and you know, Javier Becerra came out and, and gave a statement that said, as far as the administration is concerned, federal laws trump um, state laws here in terms of trying to access either via points of sale or refusals for contraception. But the reality is we're already seeing people trying to do that. 
in his concurring opinion, Justice Clarence Thomas calls for a case that would give this court an opportunity to overturn or overturn Griswold versus Connecticut, which guaranteed the rights of married couples to engage in contraceptive use. Wow. Married couples. So that's just how far they're looking to go back. And since Dobbs, there are reports of pharmacists in Louisiana refusing Cytotec. Uh, for IUD insertion. There are pharmacists in Wisconsin refusing condom sales. Um, the refusals are happening. So this is something that the Biden administration, again, it feels like an, an inability to understand the urgency of the moment. Institutional norms matter, except the reality is Republicans trashed those institutional norms over the last 15 years. And the last administration in particular decimated them and we cannot protect institutions more than we protect people. Jessica, does it finally seem to you remarkable that whereas the United States is going backward into you know, the dark ages where abortion uh, rights are concerned, the right to an abortion is concerned, the rest of the world is actually moving in the right direction. We're seeing access to abortion increasing in parts of the world, you know, deeply Catholic countries and, and many other parts of the world where they're becoming more liberal on this issue. It's true. And it is having uh, reverberations in ways that I don't know that as a country we have really considered to hear other foreign leaders now calling the United States out for its own human rights abuses in related in relation to access to abortion care. And this is these are from folks in Ireland, for example, right, um, is astonishing and truly a change in how we have positioned the United States has positioned itself on the global stage when it comes to these matters as sort of a beacon of hope and, and liberation. And we are just not that anymore. Well, I want to thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us today. Uh, Rewire.news is the best place to read your writings and listen to your podcast. Yes, absolutely. We'll post a link to that um, from our website. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. My guest has been Jessica Mason Piclo, Senior Vice President and Executive Editor of Rewire News Group, co-host of their podcast, Boom Lawyered. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.